Colossians 2, turn with me there please to verse 16, pardon my voice on the back side of a cold, Colossians 2, 16 through 19. Therefore let no one pass judgment on you in questions of food and drink, or with regard to a festival, or a new moon, or a Sabbath. These are the shadow of the things to come, but the substance belongs to Christ. Let no one disqualify you, insisting on asceticism and worship of angels, going on in detail about visions, puffed up without reason by his sensuous mind, and not holding fast to the head, from whom the whole body, nourished and knit together through its joints and ligaments, grows with a growth that is from God. We'll begin at verse 16 and we'll go through 19. And beginning with verse 16, we look at these questions of food and drink, festivals, new moons, Sabbath. Paul is speaking here of Old Testament requirements fulfilled uh, by Christ, Old Testament requirements of the law fulfilled in Christ and, and not any longer required. Key point there, not, they're no longer required and yet there were still some that were carrying on these traditions not wrong in doing so, certainly if they were doing them uh, as a means to gain Christ, they were wrong, but in carrying on some of these things, not necessarily wrong, but that these, um, these Old Testament rules, uh, these Old Testament laws, the rituals as, as seen there in verse 17 were simply a foreshadowing of what would be found in Christ. They were simply a, a clarion call to the, in, to the people of the Old Testament of, of Christ, and so we see many different pictures in the Old Testament as it pertains to the ceremonial law of, of Christ. And we're going to look at a few of those. Let me, let me first say that this food and drink, uh, festivals, new moon, Sabbath, well the Sabbath being spoken of here is, is not the Sabbath rest principle of which we're partaking right now. But rather, this was a ceremonial day, and we'll see this here in the, in the Old Testament. But it was actually a ceremonial day. There was obviously the Sabbath principle in the Old Testament as well. You see that, uh, the fourth commandment. But you also see uh, this Sabbath ceremonial day, this celebration they would have. Go with me to Leviticus 23. Let's just look at... Uh, some of the things that were foreshadowed here in Leviticus by the law that were being celebrated, rightly so, before Christ, but now Christ has fulfilled. And, and they give us, this should give us such, uh, number one, joy and that we have Christ, we don't have to do these things, uh, and that he's fulfilled them. But number two, it should also give us a wonderful uh, joy in reading the Old Testament because you can see Christ throughout it. Leviticus 23 would be a, a good beginning. Verse 4. Here's, here's a, a festival that they were required to keep. The Passover. These are, uh, Leviticus 23, 4. These are the appointed feasts of the Lord, the holy convocations which you shall proclaim at the time appointed for them. In the first month, on the 14th day of the month at twilight, is the Lord's Passover. Well, the Passover was fulfilled in Christ. It pointed to the Messiah being our Passover lamb. We see that in 1 Corinthians 5 verse 7. To cleanse out the old leaven 
that you may be a new lump as you really are unleavened. For Christ, our Passover lamb, has been sacrificed. We see Christ in the Old Testament. We no longer have to keep the Passover because we have Christ. Now, would you be wrong in celebrating the Passover? No, if you're not using that as a means to gain Christ. It actually is a wonderful celebration. Many of you probably have celebrated the Passover around Easter. Some of you may have been to the Przlovsky home where they have celebrated the Seder dinner or the, the Becker home where they have done that. And it's a great, wonderful picture. You can see many things there. But it's no longer required. How about Leviticus 23.6? And on the 15th day of the same month is the feast of unleavened bread to the Lord. For seven days you shall eat unleavened bread. Well, this was fulfilled. We saw that in 1 Corinthians 5.7. Cleanse out the old leaven that you may be a new lump. Where there was, there was no sin in the Messiah. He was perfect. They were to celebrate that to show that leaven being uh, pictured as sin here. But Christ, the Messiah, had a sinless life. Leviticus 23.10 Speak to the people of Israel and say to them, When you come into the land that I give you and reap its harvest, you shall bring the sheaf of the first fruits of your harvest to the priest. There was the celebration, the festival of the first fruits. Well, we see in 1 Corinthians 15.20 that Christ is the first fruits. His resurrection is the first fruits of the righteous. Leviticus 23.16 You shall count 50 days to the day after the seventh Sabbath. Then you shall present a grain offering of new grain to the Lord. This was uh, the Feast of Weeks or or was happened to be Pentecost. This is when the Holy Spirit came. This was showing of what would come. The Holy Spirit. So we see throughout uh, the Old Testament, and there's, there's, that would be just four, but we see throughout these, these festivals uh, that were being kept, or new moons, or Sabbath, these different celebrations that were kept, and Paul was exhorting the Colossians and saying, you're not required to do that anymore. And so if, no, if you're not doing it, don't let anyone pass judgment on you because Christ has fulfilled all of that. Now, there is a a modern-day application here, and I I think it would be uh, along the lines of personal convictions. Personal convictions that we develop as as regarding food or or drink, uh, personal standards, different things we want to celebrate. I've got a list here. Some of these would be the strolling through of some of the old diet fads. Listen to this list. Remember the South Beach diet? The Atkins diet? Piercings, Weight Watchers, Music Styles, the Mediterranean diet, the Zone diet, Tupperware, Paleo, Raw Food, Gluten Free, Jenny Craig, Organic, Dyeing Your Hair, All Natural, GMO, Green Smoothies, Essential Oils, Vitamins, Wine, Casual versus Formal at Church, Longer Burger Baskets. Remember Longer Burger Baskets? The ladies would, guys probably don't. Public versus homeschool, modesty, vegetables versus meat diet, honoring the Mosaic Sabbath versus considering all days alike, not eating meat sacrificed to idols versus all things are clean, participating in war versus pacifism, 
going to the theater, dancing or playing cards versus abstaining from the world, drinking wine versus teetotaling, playing sports on Sunday versus abstaining from your own pleasure, gun ownership versus nonviolence, political candidate A versus political candidate B, wearing makeup or dyeing your hair versus the God-given natural look, immunizations, the KJV Bible, TV, movies, sports, hospital versus home births, homeopathic, natural versus chemo. Could I go on? I could go on and on and on and on. What is my point? Not that I would be promoting or condoning any of these things, but rather this is a list that so often divides the church. So often divides it. We could probably all think of different people we've known that have maybe caused division or we've caused division and in a relationship due to some of these things. Now, some of you may be sitting there thinking, well, well one of the things that you read, it, it, is, it is something we should do or not do. And what, you can't say, well, my point is you're right in saying that. But that's a personal conviction. And you have the right to hold that. Where you go wrong is where you begin to tell others they are required to do that. Which is what Paul is saying here. It's very interesting that nothing is new under the sun. And Paul goes after this. It's not that food or drink or convictions or standards or personal disciplines are wrong. Actually they're right but rather they are not to be more important than Christ and are not to be used, key here, in condemning or qualifying those with whom we come in contact. I can't be with those people because, or I can be with those people because. I have to be very careful here. This causes disunity among the body of Christ. And as Dave Dreyer appropriately prayed we, we, we've got to have unity in the body of Christ and these things are very important but they should not divide because Christ is more important these are a shadow the, the shadow meaning it's not real you're, you're, you're settling for something far less in unity with the body of Christ when you put them upon a list rather than upon The substance which is Christ. That is your unity. That is your brother and sister. Now, I want to be very careful here. And so I want to make a clarifying point that has two sides to it. And the first side of the clarifying point would be this. That the thought would be, okay, this this allows me to trot out probably the most ill-quoted verse in the Bible Matthew 7 verse 1 don't judge me I can do what I want and you can't judge me Paul says it right here well let's be careful here because no people can judge you and they are right to do so what? but Matthew 7 1 let's go to Matthew 7 Now, they would not be right to judge your salvation, although they can judge your fruits, according to Scripture. But Matthew 7 is often trotted out, and yet it's not even really about judging, it's about hypocrisy. 
Judge not that you be not judged, for with the judgment you pronounce, you will be judged. And with the measure you use, it will be measured to you. Why do you see the speck that is in your brother's eye, but do not notice the log that is in your own eye? Hypocrisy. Or how can you say to your brother, let me take the speck out of your eye, when there is the log in your own eye? In fact, what they're saying here is, you hypocrite, verse 5, first take the log out of your own eye, then judge... And you will see clearly to take the speck out of your brother's eye. And to make it even more clear, he gives us a great point that we should judge. Do not give dogs what is holy. How are we supposed to know what is dogs? And do not throw your pearls before pigs. How are we supposed to know what are, who are pigs? Lest they trample them underfoot and turn to attack you. John seven twenty four: judge not according to the appearance, but judge righteous judgment. We are to judge. But it's according, to the, it's according to the standards of Scripture, not to our own personal standards, which are important and yet are not to be the standard by which we judge others. We are to judge. We're, we're, we're to look. Do you have love, joy, peace, patience, the fruit of the Spirit? If you're an angry person, we just say, well, I'm not going to judge that person. He's a, little, he's a little angry, but hey, hey, you know, we're all sinners. Well, we're all going to walk out with, walk around with beams coming out of our eye and we all get really joyful and bumping up against one another but nobody ever wants to do anything about it you know, we're called to be holy so we're called to encourage the brother and notice it's not walking up to him hey yanking it out of his no it's first introspection and seeking to make sure that we're walking with the Lord in the right way seeking to make sure that we're humble and then we can go and, and help our brother certainly a tone of love here not one that is um, condemning so clarifying point one the first side of it the second side would be is we are to use scripture as our guide, not our own set of convictions and standards. So the, the first thought would be, don't judge me. But the other part of it then would be, well, the other side of the coin would be, I, I'm not going to judge others. And, and you are to do that. It's just to be um, according to scripture. In fact, look at Colossians 2 again. If anything, what Paul is saying here is, don't be led astray. So you, you do need to judge to not be led astray. Don't let anyone pass judgment on you, but rather live by faith in the unseen rather than the false humility in the seen, which we'll get to in a minute. Here's some questions I would encourage us to ask ourselves in regards to these this, this thoughts on standards and personal convictions. Is this personal conviction, standard, belief against scripture and the flip side of it is does scripture support it? We often can say, well, you know, the scripture doesn't say anything about that. Well, does it sound like it supports it or sound like it doesn't support it? Do we have the humility to seek scripture there? Even if you have a a wonderful um, conviction on something, that doesn't mean you can be controlled by it. 1 Corinthians 6.12. Another question is, am I controlled by this? 1 Corinthians 6.12. Not to be dominated or controlled by anything other than Christ. Nothing should, should dominate or control us other than Christ. And then the third question we should be asking ourselves is, what does my brother think? Oh, wait a minute. It doesn't matter just what I think. I can't just do what I want to do. No, you can't actually. You're to be marked by love for Christ and then love for your brother or sister. So what does my brother think does factor in? Let's go to Romans 14. I want to get a balanced view on this. So you're, you're to have 
personal convictions. You, you've been given the freedom to do this. And I would encourage you, if you want to know more about this, we have a position paper on, online that talks about convictions of personal conscience and is a further um, teaching on this Romans 14 passage. But Romans 14 is, is very much part of what we have to consider. Verse 1, as for the one who is weak in faith, welcome him, but not to quarrel over opinions. One person believes he may eat anything, while the weak person eats only vegetables. Let not the one who eats despise the one who abstains, and let not the one who abstains pass judgment on the one who eats, for God has welcomed him. This is Paul speaking, just like he spoke to the Colossians. Who are you to pass judgment on the servant of another? It is before his own master that he stands or falls, and he will be upheld, for the Lord is able to make him stand. One person esteems one day as better than the other, while another esteems all days alike. Each one should be fully convinced in his own mind. The one who observes the day, observe it, it observes it in honor of the Lord. The one who eats, eats in the honor of the Lord, since he gives thanks to God, while the one who abstains, abstains in the honor of the Lord and gives thanks to God. For none of us lives to himself and none of us dies to himself. If we live, we live to the Lord. And if we die, we die to the Lord. So then whether we live or whether we die, we are the Lord's. For to this end, Christ died and lived again, that he might be the Lord, both of the dead and the living. Why do you pass judgment on your brother? And this is not saying we should not judge. It's saying that why are you judging someone for a simple opinion or a conviction of conscience? You should have your own and they should have your, their own, but we should also be humble enough and mature enough to see where we're united, which is in far more than where we differ. Therefore, let us not pass judgment, verse 13, one another any longer, on one another any longer, but rather decide never to put a stumbling block or hindrance in the way of a brother. So if you are into the paleo diet, and you invite someone over to your house that is a vegetarian, you can't trot out the steak, no matter how much you like it. You can't. You're to consider them. They may have a firm conviction, according to Scripture, that they can only eat vegetables and Ezekiel bread. And you have to decide, tonight I'm going to eat vegetables and Ezekiel bread out of love for Christ and love for my brother. And then next week, invite somebody over who likes the porterhouse and serve it up. In freedom, rejoice. Go to the end of 14, chapter 14, Romans 14. But whoever has doubts is condemned if he eats, because the eating is not from faith. For whatever does not proceed from faith is sin. Young people, listen to me carefully. There are many young people who feel like they've been raised in a home, they've been given a set of convictions and standards, and then they reach the age where they feel like they want to cast off all those things and develop some new convictions and standards. And we're going to put this hypothetically in a box and say that the original convictions and standards were fine and godly, and the new convictions and standards you're developing are fine and godly. Can you just cast off and bring about the new? You better have the faith to do it or you're in sin. And a lot of young people struggle with guilt over, why am I guilty about shifting from here to here 
For instance, if I were to go run a race on Sunday, many, many years ago, I decided I wasn't going to run it. Is it wrong for me to run on Sunday? No, it's not. But if I go do that, I'm going to feel guilt right now. Why? Because I don't have the faith to go, it's okay. This is a conviction God wants me, has caused me to develop. Is it, is it okay for me to do that? Yes, I can change that. But I've got to have the faith to do it. Otherwise, you're in sin. So you can't just simply shift massively unless you have the faith to do it. And many, many don't. You are in sin if you don't have that faith. So we need to be very careful here. Personal convictions, standards, what we eat and drink, very important. We need to make sure that we have the faith if we're going to shift them. And we need to make sure that union with Christ is first and primary and love for your brother or sister in Christ is above what your own set of freedoms are. Here's some statements of fact from Romans 14 and 15, Romans 14 and 15, from the position paper we have there online. We must accept one another when we differ on matters of personal conviction. And that would require that we're both humble enough to go to Scripture to determine whether it's a biblical conviction or a personal conviction. We must not be on a campaign to convert others to our position. These are all uh, statements of fact pulled from Romans 14 and 15. There are stronger and weaker positions. Paul alludes to that in verse 2. One person believes he may eat anything while the weak person eats only vegetables. We must not judge others or view with contempt those who differ with us on these matters. We cannot do that. Otherwise, it becomes just a little click that has everybody that we like that believe the same thing we do and dress the same and look the same and walk the same and do the same things. We've got to be very careful here. We are individually accountable to God and will indeed have to give an account of our behavior to him. We must be convinced in our own minds, that is, there must be no doubt in our minds as to the acceptableness of our position. It is possible for Christians with differing conscious convictions to be pleasing to the Lord. The goal is to ascribe to Christ his rightful position as Lord. Don't let your liberty of conscience cause a brother to stumble. All things are clean that are not forbidden, but I can't proceed with a doubting conscience. Do not practice your liberty in such a manner that will cause offense. This would violate the law of love. Temporal matters are not central to the kingdom of God, but it is the eternal things wrought by the Spirit that should be our focus. Remember that your personal convictions are between you and God. Never violate your conscience. You cannot do so without sinning. We should strive to be at peace and to please the other for his edification. Let's go back to Colossians 2. Moving on to verse 18. Let no one disqualify you, insisting on the asceticism and worship of angels, going on in detail about visions, puffed up without reason by a sensuous mind. That's the ESV. Let me read it to you in the NASB. Let no one keep defrauding you of your prize by delighting in self-abasement and the worship of the angels, taking a stand on visions he has seen, inflated without cause by his fleshly mind. Let's get a working definition of asceticism. It's severe self-discipline 
and avoidance of all forms of indulgence, typically for religious reasons. Is it wrong to be disciplined? No, it's not. And in fact, if you are a person who struggles with a particular sin, I would encourage you, according to Scripture, you should, you should rein in the boundaries and make them tight and have severe discipline in those areas in order that you may not sin. But the key being here with the asceticism and worship of angels is there's this thought that we can gain Christ through another manner. If we work hard enough, if we take on a, uh, a highly disciplined thought, think of the monks. If we, if we uh, find another medium by which we can worship, this worship of angels, we can gain Christ. And it's very interesting puffed up without reason by a sensuous mind, there's this false humility in thinking, I am coming closer. I'm more spiritual by what I'm doing here. In actuality, we're, we're more prideful. It's a false humility in thinking that by doing or not doing something, we will gain a closer relationship with Christ. Paul is really warning about pride, spiritual pride here. Mark twelve thirty eight, and he said to them in his doctrine, Beware of the scribes which love to go in long clothing and love salutations in the marketplaces. Matthew twenty three, twenty five through seven twenty seven. Woe unto you, scribes and Pharisees, hypocrites, for you make clean the outside of the cup and of the platter, but within they are full of extortion and excess. Thou blind Pharisee, cleanse first that which is within the cup and platter that the outside of them may be clean also. Woe unto you, scribes and Pharisees, hypocrites, for you are likened to white sepulchers, which indeed appear beautiful outward, but are within full of dead man's bones and of all uncleanness. This is, this is really pride. This is really pride. And thinking, I, I can, one, either do everything I like with this personal convictions, or two, as Paul is saying here, I can gain another route Another, another access to Christ. There's another way. No, Christ is the way, the truth, and the life. There is no one that comes to the Father but by Him. Let's, let's look at what ties this together in verse 19. And not holding fast to the head, from whom the whole body, nourished and knit together through its joints and ligaments, grows with a growth that is from God. I want to make three points on this verse 19. First point is not holding on to Christ causes us to hold on to something or someone else and in order to gain the quote unquote nourishment we require. They, they were not holding on to Christ therefore they go after asceticism and worship of angels going on in detail about visions puffed up without reason by his sensuous mind. They're looking for the seen rather than the unseen. We are to walk by faith, not by sight. And so we grab onto something physical other than Christ because we're not holding on to him. And, and there's, there's, two, there's two points that can be made here is that we're to hold onto Christ 
and we're to be holding on to one another, the body of Christ. But it, it has to be holding on to Christ first, and then you can hold to the body. But a lot of people that come to church not holding on to Christ, and they're holding on to the body as their means of somehow staying connected to the nourishment that they require. They will not gain it. You will not gain it from me or anyone else. You have to gain it through Christ first, and then you are to be connected to the body. Point number two is nourishment comes from the head. Point being that the head is of supreme importance. Not holding fast to the head from whom the whole body, nourished and knit together through its joints and ligaments, grows with the growth that is from God. Christ is, as has been the theme of this book, is Christ is supreme. He is all. He has everything that we need. And the third point being that growth by the body comes from God in a godly form. It would be coming through his grace. Grows with a growth that is from God. God gives us grace to grow. And the growing of that, uh, the growing of the body comes through us taking that grace and practically applying it. So you can't put yourself in a monastery. You can't uh, worship anything other than Christ. You have to, by that grace, seek to apply scripture, which is going to look very practical. But we have to continually see that that comes from God's grace. And Christ is what we're seeking, not a set of, of rules and convictions and standards, which may be good in their own right, but are wrong if they're outside of Christ being our all in all. Or finding our significance in those things rather than Christ being most significant to us. We must seek to be joined together for the sake of Christ. Ephesians four fifteen and 16. But speaking the truth in love may grow up into him in all things which is the head even Christ. For whom the whole body fitly joined together and compacted by that which every joint supplieth according to the effectual working and the measure of every part. Making increase of the body into the edifying of itself in love. We must seek to be joined together for the sake of Christ. Disagreements, personal convictions, unforgiveness, etc. Is all to be made right putting it aside in order to increase the body, to grow in the strength of our Lord. So we've got to be careful about these things, that they don't cause us to divide. And yet, they glorify God, but we are unified in Christ. In closing, I want to give some biblical guidelines for evaluating the exercise of our personal convictions. And these would be straight out of our... uh, our paper there on the, on the web. Does it glorify God? Can it be done in the name of Jesus? Not all things can be done in the name of Jesus. Does it cause a weaker brother to stumble? Is it profitable for you? Not all things are profitable. As Paul says, if all things are lawful, not all things are profitable. Does it involve wrong company? Does it have the appearance of evil or making provision for the flesh? Well, it's not evil. 
If it has the appearance of evil, we have to be very careful with that. Can it be done for the Lord? Do you have doubts about it? Well, just, just have faith. Trust yourself. It's okay. Be courageous. I was on the internet the other day and there is the, what would it be called? I think it's the Seattle School of Psychology and Theology. I'm probably butchering that. But their front monologue is about you just have to be courageous and, and be free and go. No, no, no. If you, you have, if you have doubts, you need to be very, very cautious about doubts. There may be, there may be doubts that you, that are self-centered, but you need to make sure that you're humble enough to go to scripture and make sure that they're not, they're not against something in scripture or the Lord is protecting you from something. Got to be careful of this theology that says, just, just be courageous and, and go and do. Well, be courageous for the cause of Christ. But be careful about about what you're doing for yourself. Young people, would your parents understand this activity to be honoring to them? I'm 30 years old and I have four children. I'm still required to honor my parents. It does not mean I'm going, I have to obey them necessarily, but it means I have to honor them. It means I can't just trot out whatever I want. I have to honor my parents. You have to do it. If you're 60 years old, you have to honor your parents. It's a biblical command. Does, these, does, does your personal conviction honor your parents? How do you find that out? You should ask them. Now, obviously, I, I have convictions that are different than my parents' convictions. So when they come to my house, I'm not going to trot out my personal convictions according to Romans 14. I'm going to seek to love them and honor them. But I also have the freedom when they go to have my own personal set of convictions. But a young person who's still within the home, if you're still under your parents' authority and you're still under your other roof, you're to be under their authority. You're to submit to them. Is it something you would like to reap in the life of your children? Ooh, that's difficult. Oh, I, I, I have the ability to listen to different music, but you've got to be careful. I have the ability to, to do what I want to do, but will my five-year-old understand? These are questions we have to ask. Are you willing to face it in judgment? Are you willing to stand before God and say, I, I believe that was right? If you approach it from that aspect, you will probably approach your personal convictions with much more humility than rather than just saying, I can do what I want to do. So, in closing here, what I, what I want to make clear is we are unified in Christ and that we are to be very humble about how we carry on our own personal convictions. We're free to have those, but we're to be, we should approach them very humbly, very cautiously, and we should keep the main things the main things, which is we have union in Christ and we are to love others more than ourselves. That's got to be primary. It's got to be primary in this church and every church. Otherwise, there will be divisions and, and factions and fractions that are needless 
and really just point to the pride of the, my own, our own human heart. Let's pray. Father, we're grateful for the teaching of Scripture. And I would pray and ask that you would allow us to apply it. We thank you, Father, that you have fulfilled all things. And that by you, all things hold together. We, we have all that we need in you. And yet, we also thank you, Lord, that you've given us the freedom to, to set boundaries and positions as long as they are not uh, like, uh, opposing scripture that would help us in this battle that we fight every day to put on the new and to cast off the old. But may we, Father, never cause, allow those personal convictions and standards to, to cause disunity. Help us, Father, to love one another. Help us to have the humility and the maturity in Scripture to see that which is a biblical standard and that which is personal. Help us to be convinced in our own minds. Help us to be able to articulate clearly where we stand. But may we do that with humility. And may we also do that, Father, with the understanding that we in no way gain any more of Christ. We have all of Christ within us. It will no, in no way earn, our, earn any greater salvation. It will no way earn any, any more of you. We gained all of that when you gave us the free gift of salvation. Thank you and praise you, Lord, for the day you've given us. We ask now, Lord, upon our prayer time that it would be honoring and pleasing to you. In Jesus' precious name I pray, amen.